You are listening to Digfin Vox. Digfin is an online media group covering the digital transformation of financial services. Our podcast comes to you twice a month from our base in Hong Kong, Asia's leading financial center, where East meets West and developed markets meet the emerging consumer. Go to our website, www.ditchfingroup.com, so you don't miss out on our in-depth daily stories on how your clients and competitors are changing their business models across asset management, banking, capital markets, and insurance. Your podcast host is James Lindsay, and this is the voice of tech innovation in finance. This is Ditchfin Vox. Hello and welcome back to Digifing Vox. I'm James Lindsay, your podcast host, and this is the voice of tech, innovation and finance. Today I'm joined by James Biazio and Karen Lai. Uh, in today's episode, we discuss the developments in the Chinese insurance market and why and how it is being disrupted, Tencent's new WeShore insurance distribution business, and the big news of Nomura Asset Management's strategic type with eight securities, which is probably the most important deal for robo-advisory to date uh, in Asia-Pacific. So, Karen, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Uh, so, you guys were both over in Shanghai last week for an insurance conference. Uh, can you tell me more about this? What, what, were the, what were the key takeaways there? The event itself was good. In terms of takeaway, there are many aspects. From the regulation side, we know that CBRC and CIRC has merged. So banking and insurance will work together as a whole to serve the country's financial system. But the question is, will the government favor insurance company over the banks? Um, also, from the business side, we see that insurance are getting more fragmented and synerized, which means companies are now differenti- differentiating themselves by providing more customized products for groups of people according to their needs rather than design a standard product than sell it. And from the technology side, we see technology are getting popular use in policy writing, yeah. risk management, and developing new distribution channels, even forming new ecosystems. Sure, okay. And so can you tell me more about the, uh, the current state of, really, of, of, of insurance in, in China? Yeah, China is a big country with very large population, and with the opening of two-child policy, it is to believe that China will become one of the largest uh, market for insurance. And um, but the potential, from the perspective of financial stability, we see that ninety percent of the asset is in the still in the banking system. Insurance asset takes only. 8.3% of the banking and insurance asset, which means mm-hmm. insurance may have a bigger role to play in terms of um, serving the population's financial needs and serving the country's financial systems. And the problem is currently Chinese insurance is dominated by big players such as China Life, Ping'an, Anbang, um, 75% of the small insurance companies only takes up 1% of the market share, which means the competition is still fierce. And with the use of technology, um, even with the use of technology, the product they provide tend to be the same. Um, with the technology, certain problems like product design, claim settlement, precision marketing are easier than before, but it doesn't make it... this. It doesn't make the industry more creative. 
So when it comes to a popular product, everyone copies the idea and try to win the market share by price war, which I don't think it's a positive competition. Mm, okay. So what, what is the insurance penetration rate in China? Um, is it big or small? How, how does it compare to, to other countries? In terms of penetration rate, I think this is another aspect we can see that China is still in the early stage of insurance development. So currently, the, um, the penetration rate in China is 2.3% for life and 1.8% for property and casualty. So this right. is a research done by DBS. Um, but I think China is in its way to expand insurance at a massive scale. Um, the growth in line with the government's plan is to double the rate of life insurance to 5% by the year of 2020. Okay. And so and what, 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 is it, uh, what is it outside of China? Yeah, we see uh, in the developed uh, insurance market, the average penetration rate is 7.5%. And in Hong Kong, the rate is roughly 13%. Okay, cool. So you see the gap is still very large. Yeah, very, very big. So, uh, so, so, so tell me more about the way insurance is distributed in the mainland. I mean, I read, I read the other day, it's quite a large number, but I read that there are 7 million insurance distribution agents uh, in the mainland. Yeah, indeed. There are currently more than 7 million insurance agents in China. They are in the front line of the industry that underwrote 3.1 trillion RMB in the year of um, 2017. Okay. And uh, what is the overall service like? How, what is it considered to be? Good or bad? I think uh, currently the service is still relatively very little variation because it's human nature that an, an agent will want to provide his or her customers with the product that they are familiar with. Because for a human, they just can't remember that much product, that much policy. It's human mm. nature, right? Okay, cool. Thank you. And Jane, just to bring you in, you gave quite a lengthy speech at that conference. Can you tell me more about your speech? Well, I hope it wasn't uh, too lengthy and put everybody to sleep. But uh, no, the, the, the topic was, can insurance companies and insure techs from China expand their model overseas? Mm -hmm. uh, so this, I think, is a is a really important question, not just for insurance, but across, uh, across financial markets, because we've seen the rise of these giant internet companies uh, like Ant Financial and Tencent uh, and, and, and others, Ping An, that have kind of really recreated what digital finance can be all about in a way that very few others can, can even understand. So, you know, we wanted to uh, highlight a couple of uh, challenges, and, and as well as maybe talk about why it, why Chinese companies, at least big ones, should should think that it's important to go overseas. Okay, and there's a specific example of insurtech innovation in China. Uh, Tencent, who are the company behind WeChat, recently launched uh, WeSure. So, can, what is what is this? Uh, WeSure is uh, it, it's it's the first time that Tencent has created a bespoke insurance product on its on its. Uh, we, Weixin, we WeChat uh, messaging ecosystem. They've got something like 800 million active users, and they've just begun opening up uh, a very a, sli a sliver of that amount of people to using WeShare, but they plan to open it up to the entire ecosystem by the end of the year. And 
They are not licensed as insurance companies. So they work in partnership uh, with, with another insurer to, so, to so provide. They're, so they're not underwriting it there. That's right. They're really just providing the, the platform to allow people to connect it. But of course, they, they, they do all the customer interface. Uh, they, they do Everything that has to do with the customer is what they do. So the UX and the yeah. uh, all the way to the, the claims process. But the, the point is that everybody uses WeChat in China. And uh, and this is now an example of how they're they're leveraging that power and that access mm. uh, to such a vast population to sell. Now they're selling insurance. We've got uh, about a billion daily users, so it's very very big, very big market. Uh, so what what types of insurance would be offered? Right now, it's it's fairly simple. Um, it's a uh, it's just some some uh, small medical policies. Um, I'm sure they'll they'll get into other things like auto insurance. It's it's a modest beginning, um, but the the given the the size of that platform uh, and and the reach they have and the fact that they're embedded in people's daily lives, I'm sure they'll be able to to roll out a lot more. Okay, so it's not exactly a uh, insurance supermarket then, more of a kind of focused product. It's not a supermarket. No, I mean. When you you have to think about what their their customers want and what they need and what gaps can be filled. So I don't think they're trying to come out and be, hey, we're China Life or we're AIA. No, that's not what they're trying to do. Uh, but at some point, maybe they'll be able to have a similar reach. But right now, it's it's early days for online buying of insurance, and I think they have to also just see how well they can integrate it into other services that they're already offering, uh, you know, from a lifestyle perspective. Yeah, and is it is it better than what's already on offer? Well, WeSure itself is, is brand new. It's only been around for about five months, uh, so I don't know. But I think we've already seen that in the Chinese context, these internet companies do bring something that's way better than what's on offer. Insurance, traditional insurance in China is is pretty bad. Okay. Uh, and will they have many competitors in this space? Well, there's already Ant Financial and there's uh, Ping On would probably be the, the biggest head-to-head competitor. Um, but uh, yeah, I think we'll see more. Uh, you know, penetration rates of insurance are really super low in China, so there's a long way for the whole industry to go, uh, and that goes for the traditional guys too. Uh, but the the you know these insurance the internet uh, players uh, they they have a lot of uh, wide open spaces. Okay, sure. Great. Okay, so and ju- just to wrap up this segment, Karen, what do you see as the future of insurance in China? How big will the disruption be? I think the future of insurance is about ecosystem um, because with the popular use of technology, the business of insurance is no longer just about a certain factors, for example, um, products or how many people you can reach. It's more comprehensive. Um, small companies and big companies are trying to build their own ecosystem so that they can provide a whole chain of services to their customers to maintain the customer relationships. And um, under these circumstances, I think big players do have the advantage in terms of um, product design ability and the traffic and customer base. But that doesn't guarantee their success they still have to link up the upstream and downstream firms to form the ecosystem, while I see SMEs are more likely to group up to do so. Mm-hmm. And I think this is where technology like big data, cloud computing, machine learning, and even blockchain can help the industry with. And do you believe there's a future for these 7 million agents in China? Will they be replaced by this technology? 
Yeah, we hear all the time that technology companies believe that um, human nature will be replaced by, for example, chatbot or online selling platform. But I think this is not the case. Um, but I do believe that the agent's job will change in the future. They need to be more precise, more accurate, and their advice has to be more professional. Because uh, think about it, if you are a customer, you want to buy a life insurance, for example, that lasts for 20 to 30 years long, you will want to know from a human being like how clear is the policy before you actually uh, buy it. Mm. So I think human um, agents still have their roles to play in terms of uh, maintain the relationship and let the customers do, um, do the purchase decisions. Right, and now on to the big news that uh, Nomura Asset Management is doing a strategic deal with Hong Kong-based robo-advisor 8 Securities. This deal is about 25 million US dollars, so it's, it's fairly significant. Jane, can you tell me more about the 8 Securities deal? So 8 Securities has been around for a number of years in Hong Kong and in Japan, where they have primarily, they're best known for their direct-to-consumer robo-advisory businesses. Uh, and they're not the biggest player in, in Japan, uh, but they're, 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 I guess, one of the biggest players at a regional level. And they have received a, a pretty chunky infusion, uh, both into their Japan and into their Hong Kong businesses from Nomura Asset Management. So uh, a, a big traditional player uh, getting involved with a, uh, a, a robo-advisor. Okay. And would it remain as a separate entity or would it be integrated now into, into Nomura? Uh, the Jap Japanese business will be, uh, over time, I think will be integrated, uh, but the UX and the, the, the product design for, for both the Japanese and the non-Japanese businesses will remain in Hong Kong. So it's not like they're, they're just selling the business, it's, it's more of a strategic partnership, but Nomura will have de facto control over the Japanese business. Okay. And, uh... Well, not the, not even de facto. I mean, they, 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 they control the board in the, in the Japanese case. But the Japanese unit is yeah. a subsidiary of the Hong Kong one. So in Hong Kong is where Aid Securities maintains its uh, sovereignty. Okay. And they'll be doing all the product development from, from Hong Kong? Product development is in Hong Kong, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so with no, no B2C robo in Asia has amassed anything quite like what we see outside. Uh, the AUM of Betterment is... 13 billion US dollars, it's got 444,000 accounts. Wealthfront's about 10 billion and 244,000 accounts. So why, why is this, why has it not really taken off here? Fragmentation, I mean, you know, those, those examples you cite are in the US and they have um, a much bigger market to play in, that's a, that's a single market. Secondly, people in America after the global financial crisis became super anti-banks. Whereas in Asia, I think you know people are, are less antagonistic and they're more trusting toward traditional brands. So the idea of just some unknown startup coming to you and asking you to give them money to manage your wealth, I think, is still a little bit harder here than it is in in countries like the U.S. But I, ultimately, I think it does come down to the fact that you're dealing with small population sizes, and it, so um, when you think of Asia, you you know it's it's a misnomer to consider that as a, a region or a thing or a block. It's it's lots of s small countries with their own uh, with their own issues going on. Sure, uh, and onto independence. Can can robos acquire significant AUM if they remain independent, or do they really now need to partner with large institutions? I think the the significance of the of the deal between Nomura and 
and uh, H Securities is that it, although we talked about how hard it is for these guys to gather AUM, to gather customers, um, uh, and I'd say, let me just take a step back, that a lot of people have questioned the whole concept of B2C in an Asian context because of fragmentation, because of that, that, that uh, lack of trust in startups or people without a brand. But this deal shows that there is something to it. Uh, if Nomura is willing to put this kind of uh, th this kind of money and, and branding at play in in the name of going direct to consumer, at, at least in the Japanese con and uh, context, then uh, that does tell you that robo means something, and uh, that you know going direct consumer has a place, and there's going to be viable ways of doing that, and and that's also because. You know, a, a company like Nomura Asset Management and probably most other fund management companies from the traditional world, their customer base is going to be quite elderly. In Japan, it's extreme. Uh, you know, it's really people over the age of 65 that have all the assets. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how do you attract the next generation? Uh, you've got to start somewhere. And the traditional ways of marketing and getting people to go in the bank, it's not working. So is this all about the millennials? It is. It is about the millennials. Uh, about about providing uh, mobile-only services to young people in their 30s who are beginning to gather assets uh, and don't necessarily need to have a or, or want to have a traditional formal walk into the bank branch kind of relationship yeah. just to buy it, just to buy an investment product. And will this be taken outside of Hong Kong and Japan? Well, they um, yes, but in a different way. Uh, so in Hong Kong. Eight Securities also has a B2C business, but they are beginning to build a B2B capability. So they would be uh, putting their, their technology and their consumer understanding services um, uh, for, for other banks or other financial institutions, perhaps on a white label basis. And there's a lot of other B, uh, B2B robos that already do this uh, in Asia and, and around the world. Um, you know, names like Bamboo and Quantifeed are, mm -hmm. are active in the B2B space. Um, and uh, it's a way to help banks, for example, uh, monetize their existing customer bases and provide them with investment products. So it's, um, it's a different direction. And Nomura will be uh, helping, I think, so there might, there might be some, some investment that Nomura will put into helping them develop that business. Yeah. Um, and also Nomura has its own traditional uh, businesses in Asia, outside of Japan, uh, but there they tend to be more institutional and wholesale. And okay. so, so there's no re retail offering. Really. They don't have a, they don't have a strong retail offering. So again, they're not disrupting themselves by trying to see if they can use eight securities to help them develop again. You know, go after millennials, mobile, digital, and I think you can probably, um, you know, the products can be reasonably similar. So there's probably I don't know how how much, how much scalability there is across markets at a retail level, but. Um, but but this will be a way for Nomura to 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 see if they can can make a dent. Okay, sure. Can traditional asset managers go direct in Asia? Sure. I mean, if they set it up and, and invest in it. There have been attempts over the years in a non-digital context. Uh, Fidelity and JP Morgan Asset Management have both attempted to go direct in Hong Kong uh, at various points in time. JP Morgan because of its Jardine Fleming roots. Yeah. Um, Fidelity because that's really uh, core to their business model in, in other parts of the world. Uh, but these have not worked. It's very expensive, um, and uh, it's it's really difficult. And people have become habituated to buying funds in banks. So, 
Um, going direct in Asia has been a real challenge. Is that because it's expensive, the marketing side? Yeah, it's, or it's very just aren't interested. Um, I think that the cost is probably the biggest problem. The, 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 the number of people that you get for the cost of, of advertising, renting space to, to have an office to attract them into, um, and so on, the, it, it's pretty daunting, especially in an expensive city like Hong Kong. Sure. So is it better to go B2C or B2B? For who? Uh, for the robos. Well, there are different business models. I think what's interesting about Aid Securities is they're going to be doing both. And they, um, they're, they're newcomers to the B2B space um, compared to some of the other guys. But, uh, but what they will bring is the experience of being on the front lines, of having customers, um, which is something that the B2Bs don't. The B2Bs service banks. The banks have the customers. So I think maybe that might be an edge for eight in the sense that they will have, um, you know, they'll understand what that, that really means when you have to actually work for customers, you know, really on the coalface. Sure. So two, two days before Nomura Asset Management announced its, day, uh, its deal with Eight Securities unveiled an agreement with Line Corporation. So who are Line and will this benefit Eight Securities? Line Corporation is Japan's equivalent of, of WeChat or WhatsApp. Um, it's a big messaging system um, and it's hugely popular in Japan. Uh, and they have a lot of you know games and and uh, and chats and and all kinds of things on it. Um, so it's it's a big player. It's also got traction in some other Asian markets. And um, so this was a deal between Nomura Securities and Line to create some kind of financial services oriented joint venture um, that would be able to to feed financial products to Line's customer base. That's a big deal. Um, the fact that the Nomura Asset Management deal came out with Aid Securities just after that, I think is coincidence. That I don't. I get the feeling talking to people that this was not coordinated. Um, Nomura Securities is much bigger, um, and uh, Nomura Asset Management operates uh, independently in, inside Japan. So uh, I, I don't think there was a, a grand master plan. However, when you look at the pieces on the chessboard, this would give the Nomura Group. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> access to line as well as having a, you know, basically an in-house robo advisor service, which is um, you know, or at least arm's length robo advisor. So, it doesn't take a huge stretch of imagination to think that they might find a way to put these two together, and that could be a very compelling uh, prospect for for all three parties. Sounds like there's a lot of potential there. So, finally, what what uh, have we got coming up in the next couple of weeks? Uh, well, I'm in uh, Kuala Lumpur this coming week and uh, just trying to hash out a few meetings. Um, and uh, we've got uh, a story on, um, I'm working on a piece looking at the SFC's consultation on online product sales in Hong Kong. So we have a few interesting things coming up for our readers at Digfin. Fantastic. And I'm uh, at the Internet Economy Summit this Thursday with some great speakers such as Carrie Lam, who's the CEO of Hong Kong, uh, Chief Technology Officer of Didi Chungsing, which is the Uber of, of China, CEO of Ping An Insurance, and, and many other good speakers from Alibaba, JD, Facebook, Amazon, and Google. Okay. So thank you, James, and thank yeah, you, Karen. Um, I'm James Lindsay, and when I'm not hosting this podcast, I'm the Commercial Director of Digifin Group. If you enjoyed this podcast, please listen again and share it on social media so your friends can find it too.